There's some number of bottles with some brown stuff in them, so I'm not sure. Probably not moonshine. I don't think they'd waste the moonshine on me. And for, I don't know what, four and a half, five hours uh, inside of that stadium, man, it was absolutely electric. Um, our fans showed out in, in, in a great way. It's, uh, I'm gonna be honest, man, that's why I wanted to be here. Um, because I believe in the power of the T. I believe in, in this university, believe in this athletic department. And I believe in, in uh, this fan base, man. And uh, tonight was a great showcase of that. Can a defensive player win the Heisman? And you've got so many good ones. Is there one that you all could promote? You know, I don't, I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I, I would probably have said before the season that's impossible because statistics lead you to believe that it's always going to be an offensive player. We don't really care. We let you guys decide that. And uh, I respect it, but it's not something that we look for. And I'll be honest with you, the guys on our team are so bought into their roles. And as long as they do that, we'll keep getting better. We had a play call. We called timeout. We changed play. <laughs> Did you see something you didn't like? Or? <laughs> you want to know the truth? I'm yeah. not going to tell you the truth. I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus. Again, two questions. Who's your quarterback moving forward, and uh, how do you explain that run defense? Yeah, uh, those are two really good questions. Uh, no, it was, it was horrible communication, I would say, is what I, how I would evaluate what that was. I mean, it's, it's a nice way to put it, and I'm sure that if you, you know, wrote it that way in the article that they'd appreciate it, but that's, uh, I can't say that that's 100% factually correct. You know, I'm trying to establish uh, a culture, I'm trying to recruit great players, and we can't skip steps. And I would have liked to, and I thought maybe we could have, and maybe I got the fan base too excited um, and, and thought maybe we could skip that step, but we can't. We can't skip a step. Oh, welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Braddon. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And man, do we got a terrific show lined up for you today. Reached out to my buddy, Jesse Simonton, former Tennessee, Florida, Georgia beat writer. Still does some work there for Saturday down south. He's going to join the program. He's got some fresh, honest takes. Uh, he doesn't hold anything back here, so that's why I really like talking to Jesse, and he's got some terrific insight and even shares some uh, nuggets on recruiting. So uh, we'll get to that interview here in a moment. But, hey, before we get the show rolling, as always, got to mention the sponsors, prizepicks.com. Head on over to prizepicks.com if you want to get in on the daily fantasy action. And remember to use that promo SEC, and they will match your initial deposit up to 100 bucks. So you can play the weekends with us. We're, hey, I'm giving up winning picks week in and week out in college football. They got all the professional sports over at prizepicks.com. And a lot of you ask, how can we help the show? Love the fact that you do this full time. The best way that you can help is go to prizepicks.com, sign up for an account, and again, use that promo code SEC. And of course, if you've already done that, another great way, give us one of them five-star written reviews on the Apple Podcast app, and we'll send you a beer koozie free of charge just for doing that. And we've got all 14 teams represented. So, Hey, on with the show here, and before we get to uh, the news and notes across the league, Tennessee hit with a big old fine. <laughs> no. 
Sorry, Shane. I don't want to bring us up uh, with Shane on, on the air. He would have gone on another 20-minute rant about uh, the game and everything like that. But got to mention it, SEC fining the Vols $250,000. Same fine for beating Alabama and rushing the field. Tennessee fans get it for throwing everything they could at uh, Lane Kiffin and the Ole Miss Rebels. And really, the referees is who they were aiming at. But uh, Kiffin was a... <laughs> And he got that damn golf ball, didn't he? I mean, my God, how many times he's going to tweet out about this? He's bringing it to all the press conferences. He's really eating that up. So it is what it is. But uh, interestingly, the SEC is demanding that uh, Tennessee use video replay to find out all these fans that threw stuff onto the field. And it's going to be difficult because there was 100,000 and there was probably only about 100 people that threw something. But they're going to try to track these people down and – how ironic, the video replay doesn't work for the Vols on the field, but now the SEC is demanding we use it here at Dealing Stadium to find out these culprits that threw stuff at Lane Kiffin and the refs. But I just thought that was hilarious. I've seen that comment made about 500,000 times. And Cousin Shane, like I said, he didn't throw anything, but he was throwing stuff mentally. I can promise you that. <laughs> and he's been throwing up some gems on Twitter if you've not been following uh, his reaction to all this, but uh, that's just hilarious. But, hey, on with uh, bigger and better news here. Week 9 kickoffs announced by the SEC here on Monday. I'll throw that up on the YouTube channel here. Not a ton of games. This is for the October 30th weekend here in the SEC. Again, Week 9 kickoffs. And interestingly, Arkansas on a bye. So what the SEC say, hey, no noon games, 11 a.m. Central kickoffs. The one week Arkansas off, no nooners. I mean, my God, it almost seems like they're doing it on purpose, looking at doing it this way. But we do have four games. There will be a bunch of teams on a bye during the uh, October 30th weekend. We got Missouri at Vanderbilt. That's going to be on the SEC Network at 3 o'clock Eastern, 2 o'clock Central. Uh, the big game, SEC on CBS, Georgia at Florida, 3.30 Eastern, 2.30 Central. Again, that was announced during the preseason. That's always the game when those two meet in Jacksonville. Ole Miss at Auburn. That's shaping up to be one hell of a game. It's going to be on ESPN, 7 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock Central. Again, nationally televised on ESPN. And then last but not least, this game could be one hell of a matchup as well. Kentucky at Mississippi State makes that game a little bit more interesting. On the SEC Network, 7 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock Central. And again, this is for the uh, Week 9 kickoffs on October 30th. But moving on to right now, I think the biggest topic here in the SEC, of course, who is going to replace Coach O down there in Baton Rouge? We'll do a little bit more of a uh, deeper dive on the uh, Texas A&M-South Carolina game on the next show. Still waiting for Shane Beamer to speak to the media on Tuesday. But uh, Jimbo Fisher met with the media on Monday, and that was one of the first questions he got, his obvious connections. It, maybe you don't know, Scott Woodward, the AD at LSU, the guy that uh, took the podium with Ed Orgeron on Sunday to announce that Coach O won't be coming back. He's the man tasked with finding the next LSU football coach. He hired Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. They're good old buddies from their days uh, when Jimbo was previously at LSU. Jimbo's long been coveted by LSU. 
In fact, they damn near replaced Les Miles with Jimbo at one point, and that was uh, when Les got carried off the field. And I don't know the backstory, but apparently Jimbo decided to stick it out at FSU, obviously, uh, before leaving for Texas A&M eventually. But, you know, that's a lot of people are connecting the dots saying, I know Jimbo Fisher just got an extension in College Station, but I know A&M fans know this, but I don't know if everybody does. He's got $100 million on the table, but here's the deal. No buyout. He could leave Texas A&M at any time, but he'd be leaving basically $100 million on the table unless LSU was ready to give him that type of contract. Well, like I said here on Monday, Jimbo met with the media, and he made about as strong a statement as you could saying, thanks, but no thanks. I'm here at A&M. I'm going to honor this contract. So you must be doing something right if your name come, is linked to – You wait to the second question, huh? That's right. It's was, usually third. Know, it's usually, you, you really it's usually the third thing people ask you <laughs> when they come up with something. It's usually the third thing they say that's what they really want to ask you, not the second. See, just, you're slipping again now. Yeah. See, it's usually – am I not right on that? I counted your when people bring up two, two, to get one. you nonchalant on two of them and then hit you on the third one? There you go. I don't, third one. I don't. We don't, you don't get a third one. So no, okay. I I Wait, y'all been? One. No, some of y'all so, been doing that. <laughs> so I guess I'll, I'll cut to the chase. Do you have any interest in the LSU? No, listen. Job? I, I am. I'm gonna say this right now, and it. And I don't want. It's in October right now. I love being here. This is my the job I wanted. I'm, I'm being here. I got a great contract. I have an unbelievable chancellor. I have an unbelievable president. Unbelievable AD. That we're building something. We're recruiting great players. I really believe we're on the process of building something great. I plan on being here and fulfilling this contract and doing everything. I my family has roots here. I got ranches here. I hunt here. I love everything about this place. And and I and you don't and listen. And I say that because listen, nothing. There's nothing going on there. Is there nothing happening there? And I don't be disrespectful to anybody else. I, I coached there. It was a great place. We won national championships. It is one of the best, you know, best places. In America. It's a wonderful place. I love being an A&M, and I plan on being an A&M here and fulfilling my whole contract. I love everything about this place. And, and let me tell you something else. And the way this place has embraced me and my family, and including our foundation, the things that are going on with our foundation, the way the people have embraced it, the way people have, have done everything here in College Station, I love everything about the people here, the administration here and everybody in charge here and, and the people who run this organization. And I love it here. Down front. No, I, that's, that's about it. I don't know how else I can say it. So, again, you're not going to hear many press conference comments that are quite as strong as those delivered by Jimbo here on Monday, committed to Texas A&M, everything he's building there. And, hell, I mean, I think you could argue, I know LSU's one hell of a job. I don't really want to turn this into a debate of ranking these jobs, but is LSU really a better program at Texas A&M? Let's just say, and again, Jimbo just, I think he buried all these rumors, but let's say Jimbo did leave to go to LSU, even if he won a national championship. What's his legacy at LSU compared to if he stays at A&M and wins their first national championship in damn near 100 years? I mean, they're going to put statues up of him. They've already given up the uh, trophy with the national championship, just the date waiting to be engraved there. I don't know. I, it just makes all the sense in the world to me for Jimbo to stick it out at A&M considering all the momentum they got. And, hell, who knows? I mean, they probably don't have much of a shot this season at winning the national championship, but still not out of the running. And the best looks to be yet to come for the Aggies under Jimbo Fisher. That and I know they've suffered a couple defeats here, but they continue to trend in the right direction. Just It doesn't make a ton of sense to me why Jimbo would leave the situation he's got. And again, 10-year contract, $100 million on the table to go looking for another job. And 
if you need any other reason to, to doubt it, look at the missus here, Courtney Fisher. She even uh, issued her comments here on Twitter. I thought this was great, so I'll throw it up here. But And for the record, I love it here too. That's Courtney Fisher, Jimbo's wife. I believe they just got married in the offseason there, so... There you got it. I mean, if the missus say, says we stay, we stay. And I, I, Jimbo's smart enough to know that. I'm not, I don't have to tell him anything he don't know. But uh, speaking of uh, Ed Ogeron and all the speculation and all that, let's kick it on down to Oxford. Auditorio, miss. Lane Train met with the media here, and he was asked about Coach O and the fire in there at LSU. They're good buddies. They coached at USC, and I assume most of you know had uh, Kiffin not landed the FAU job after he left Alabama, he was headed to LSU to be their offensive coordinator. So these two, very close. And Kiffin was asked about Coach O getting dismissed, so to speak, there in LSU, even though they're facing him here this week. But let's kick it over to Lane Kiffin reacting to the news. Lane, obviously a, a lot of pre-existing relationship with, with Ed Orgeron. And uh, obviously there's a lot going on at LSU right now. I'm just curious on, on your thoughts on how – everything's kind of unfolded there the last couple of days yeah i don't know the details you know of all that stuff and what went on obviously ed you know did a great job there won a national championship um you know so i'm not really sure what happened here as of late and it's crazy you know they just beat a really good florida team um you know when i'm sure not a lot of people gave him a chance um, you know, after the Kentucky game. So, you know, it shows that they have great players and they can play really well. And they did that. I mean, I think to finish that, this is just, you know, it's a profession that we've always been in, but now more than ever, it is so much, not just what have you done in the last year, it literally is what have you done Saturday. I just had this conversation with another head coach, you know, just who's struggling a little bit, trying to motivate him. You know, I just said, hey, Every Sunday, you're either a good or bad coach based off of that Saturday, and it switches. I mean, when I see a thing on SEC Network that I walk by, you know, or someone's, you know, talking bad about Saban, you know, after the end game as a coach, it just shows you where we're at. All right, so I kind of structured it like this because I'm gonna get I'm gonna make Ole Miss fans pissed off here in just a second, but. Here's my prediction. LSU, if they really want to make a splash hire, which Scott Woodward, the AD, known to make, hired Chris Peterson, hired Jimbo Fisher, hired, I believe her name's Kim Malarkey, the the LSU women's basketball coach, multiple national champion from Baylor. You want to make a splash hire, you go – to Oxford and get you Lane Kiffin. And I think that's what, uh, I don't know, I think it would be very attractive as well to Lane Kiffin to leave Oxford. That that may sound crazy at the moment, but, I mean, what did Kiffin just say right here? I mean, they basically want you out as soon as you lose a game. And remember when Ole Miss lost to Alabama? I mean, it was not even close this year. One of the main things he said is, you know, we got to get our talent up. We we don't match up with Alabama across the board. And that's true. Now, that's not saying he can't build that at Alabama, but I think they're a hell of a lot closer already at LSU. And I think LSU is a better job than Ole Miss. 
You don't have the in-state rival. You have all the advantages in the world. You've got national championships in a recent track record. And here's another thing to consider. Matt Corral, I think, makes that Ole Miss job attractive. Hell, that's part of the reason Lane Kiffin went down there, right? So what happens if Matt Corral, number one overall pick in the upcoming draft, how hard is, will it be to replace him? Maybe you go to the transfer portal. Maybe they have faith in their backups can be uh, the next Matt Corral because it's not like before Lane Kiffin, Matt Corral, he wasn't even playing. It was John Rice Plumley. So maybe you, you sit here and say Lane Kiffin can do it again in Oxford. And I, I'm not sitting here doubting him. I'm not saying it's a lock that he would leave. But, hey, I'm just putting the pieces together. What did he just say here? You lose on one week, they want you done. They, they're calling you out. How much, how much more difficult is that Ole Miss job going to be next season if Matt Corral jumps to the NFL, which he, you know, by all indications, looks looks like very likely. I mean, hell, he, he may win the Heisman. He may be the number one overall pick. Where can you find the next Matt Corral? It's going to be a lot easier, I think, at LSU with the, everything they've got. They've got a quarterback in there. They've got a five-star committed. And, hell, I kind of suggested this on the last pod. I don't. To my knowledge, I don't think the Manning family is too thrilled with uh, Lane Kiffin, to be honest with you. But maybe they give him a, diff a different look here if he's at LSU. It's not that I don't think that uh, they want Arch playing for Lane Kiffin. Hell, I mean, how could you not be impressed by Lane Kiffin's track record? But just something to consider. If maybe Arch wants to stay a little bit closer to home. I know previously he was considering LSU. Now he's not. Does that change with this coaching turnover we'll find out but I don't think it hurts you with that recruitment either and you don't name your coach LSU would be stupid to name a coach just to get Arch Manning that's not what I'm suggesting but you got to get back in that race because based on all indication I mean this he could be a, tr a true difference maker from the moment he steps on campus to when he leaves three or four years later so yeah it has to be considered in my mind even if uh, you know that is not a consideration for LSU, they've got the talent at the quarterback position. They've got the talent in the line of scrimmage. They're loaded at the receiver position with so many young, good prospects there. I'm just saying it makes all the sense in the world to me. Scott Woodward wants to make that splash hire. He does it by going to Oxford and landing him Lane Kiffin, and I truly think Lane Kiffin would be interested in that offer. So, We'll see how it plays out, but I do say that to say this, sportsbetting.ag has released odds to be the next LSU coach, and again, you take all this with a grain of salt. I mean, these coaching odds, there's almost no value to these, i got to be honest with you, but where there is value is when they get closer and closer to naming a coach and the odds change significantly, that gives you an indication of perhaps who's... Uh, you know, making moves to, to get that job. So more than anything, I just want to present these. I'll throw them up on the YouTube channel here. But Lane Gifford, currently the favorite, according to sportsbetting.ag. And again, I don't put hardly any stock into these. But maybe, you know, maybe you want to bookmark these and reference them as uh, we get closer to the end of the regular season. If one of these names rises drastically, is a good indication that uh, he may be the next head coach. But Lane Kiffin currently listed as uh, two, two and a half to one to be the next LSU coach. Luke Fickle, the Cincinnati coach, five and a half to one. Billy Napier, 
seven to one. Jimbo Fisher, seven and a half to one. Again, Jimbo has already come out here and said he don't want the job. Bill O'Brien, Alabama's offensive coordinator, eight and a half to one. Mark Stoops, also eight and a half to one. Bob Stoops, nine to one. How about that? <laughs> I mean, James Franklin, nine and a half to one. Joe Brady, 10 to one. Mel Tucker, the Michigan State coach, 12 to one. Dave Aranda, Baylor coach, former LSU defensive coordinator, 14 to one. Urban Meyer, oh, 14 to one. And John Gruden, 100 to one. Again, that gives you an indication of uh, what these are worth that they're putting John Gruden and all that. I mean, say what you want about that situation. Given Coach O's, you know, recent track record there during the uh, pandemic, yeah, I don't. I think John Gruden would be a no-go for LSU. I'll just say that. But jumping back, hey, I know I probably pissed off every Ole Miss listener we got, but sorry, Lane Kiffin's doing a hell of a job. It is what it is. I hope for your sake I'm wrong as hell, and I probably will be. If, hell, if I'm saying Kiffin should be your next coach, it's probably a good indication he's about to uh, sign him another contract extension down there in Ole Miss. But, hey, we got a game here. All of a sudden looks a lot more intriguing because Ole Miss only got one loss on the season. They are an Alabama upset away from controlling their destiny to Atlanta, and they're facing an LSU team that just beat Florida as a massive, massive underdog. They got that running game going, and – you know, this game, like I said, last year, same deal. I mean, Ole Miss was favored, if I'm not mistaken, against a banged-up LSU squad, and LSU found a, a way to win. I mean, it's almost like a repeat of uh, the Florida game from last week. You'd, you'd think there'd be a revenge factor, but it was the opposite. And this is a rivalry game. I mean, these players are going to get up for this. I'm sure there's so many players on each side of this game that know each other in the recruiting process. Uh, you know, LSU is going to be fired up, ready to play, as is Ole Miss. So, but the big question now, will Matt Corral be healthy? He just ran the ball 30 times for 200-plus yards on Tennessee's defense. No need to remind Cousin Shane of that one. But Kiffin's out here saying Matt Corral may not play. And then Lane Kiffin turns around and says, Eli Manning and Matt Corral, you can be able to see him if you come to this game. <laughs> Lane, just how's Matt feeling? They are so removed from that. And just kind of your thoughts on him. I think he's the first person to carry the ball 30 times since in the past 14 years. Just kind of your thoughts on his performance. Well, that's not a real stat that I'm excited about. You know, I didn't know that in 14 years. We'd like that to be a running back and not a, you know, 200-pound quarterback. So he's not in very good shape. Hasn't been for the last two days. Um, so... You guys know how we are on injuries. Hopefully he'll play, but I do not feel good about that right now. Lane, as you know, the program's obviously honoring Eli Manning at halftime. I was just wondering if you had a comment about that or comment about any interactions you've had with that family and the impact they've made on this. Yeah, um, obviously, I mean, they're the university, the Manning family, and, you know, have always had great respect for them and, you know, second place where the quarterback has played or been the head coach. Um, so it'll be really cool. Saturday I tweeted something this morning, you know, I mean, I would think this would be a very hot ticket. I get to go see Eli Manning and Matt Carell, you know, so um, it'd be a pretty cool thing Saturday. So which one is it? Is he going to play? Is he not? I don't know. Kiffin's mix, mixing his messages here and, 
Uh, I thought this was great. Coach O was asked about it, and what do you know? Coach O says he ain't buying this bullshit. Okay, and then, um, you know, there was also some news this morning that it sounds like Matt Corral was pretty beaten up um, in that last game against Tennessee. Um, Coach Kiffin doesn't know if he's going to be ready to play this week. Could you just talk about, you know, their quarterback room as a whole and yeah. maybe something you guys know about their backups as well? Well, we just started, you know, uh, looking at them, obviously. Uh, we just started studying Ole Miss. I've been looking at Matt Corral all morning, and we're expecting him to play. But we're going we're gonna to study a second-team quarterback. But knowing Matt and knowing <clears throat> Coach Kiffin, he's kind of throwing me a, a smoke screen. <laughs> hey, and don't forget, uh, you know, on, on Coach O's end, this is a team. He's got a long history with it. It's really been downplayed since he's been the head coach there at LSU. He's not made – you know, he always says, it's not about me, it's about the team. But – you know, I think at the end of the day, he's probably got some resentment towards Ole Miss, even though that was so long ago. LSU has really owned the Rebels uh, under Coach O. So, hey, like I said, man, we'll find out this weekend. This is going to be, I think, a really, really good. This may be the best game of the weekend. It's the CBS SEC game of the week as well. So, can LSU keep that ground game going? Uh, the defense? You know, they got abused a little bit in that Florida game, but uh, they won it because they forced so many turnovers. Matt Corral just threw his first interception of the season last week against Tennessee, kind of nearly came back to bite the Rebels. So can you really do that to Matt Corral if he plays, which I certainly suspect he will, but it very unlikely. So how's this defense? But maybe they've gained some confidence in that LS, in that Florida win by forcing all those turnovers. I know – the LSU defensive line has been getting after the passers all season long. So that's going to be a matchup to watch. Max Johnson, Matt Corral, 2.0, going head-to-head. Max Johnson won last year, and this was a game, much like all Arkansas game last year, Matt Corral had somewhat of a little meltdown in this one, multiple turnovers. It was in the rain. It was a nasty game. I don't think many people watched it because it was on at the same time as the SEC championship. It was one where – you know, COVID pushed it back, and it was just an odd time of the schedule. But, again, this is a rivalry game. I think it's going to be a really, really good game here on Saturday. And Coach O, Lane Kiffin going head-to-head. We'll see uh, who wins this round. All right, next let's kick it on down to Fayetteville. Woo pig! Where Arkansas is set to host Arkansas Pine Bluff this weekend in Little Rock. They're making their annual trip uh, across the state to Little Rock to play in War Memorial Stadium. And this will be the first time, I had no idea it had been this long, first time since 1944 that the Razorbacks are playing an in-state opponent by hosting uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff. And of course, you know, you, you expect a blowout here, as you should if you're a Razorback fan, but Arkansas desperately needs this one after dropping three straight games, including arguably one you you shouldn't have lost there against Auburn. You had the home field advantage. There was an opportunity to be had, but you just didn't make the plays. You made too many mistakes. Defense got a, again, the past defense getting a little exposed. So we got to get that corrected. And a big part of that, unfortunately, Jalen Catalan, this is something I missed over the weekend of my travels. I didn't realize uh, that uh, Sam Pittman had announced Jalen Catalone out for the season. I know he didn't play at Auburn, but uh, I think that was not revealed until Saturday morning. 
that uh, Catalan was not going to play. And come to find out, he's he had to have soldier, shoulder surgery. He's out for the season. So that's a huge blow. And that's probably a good reason why your defense is getting a little bit exploited in the passing game because you, you don't got your best defensive back out there. And I know Razorbacks got a lot of good players on defense, but I don't think they got one as good as Jalen Catalong. So who steps up with uh, the All-American out of the lineup? That is something that you got to find out in a game like this. You cannot take Arkansas Pine Bluff lightly. I mean, I know no one wants to be reminded of the day of Chad Morris era, but this is a game you, you may have lost back in. You know what I mean? So it wasn't that long ago either. So you got to take these games serious. This has got to be a get-right game. Get out here, beat the hell out of Pine Bluff, and get some of these backups in. Get them some action because that's what we're missing. We're missing some experience from our twos and threes, and that's what Arkansas needs to build this thing back up. We don't necessarily have the depth, I don't think, in the SEC to compete, and I think that has shown itself out in the last couple of weeks, but this is a game where you should be able to win with your twos and threes, and I think that's probably going to be the game plan. I mean, this is almost going to be a semi-bye week type here, and Arkansas on the back end of this will also get a bye, so this is an opportunity to rest a lot of banged up, beaten guys, and that's kind of Sam Pittman certainly didn't make that case, but he did make the case that this is a banged-up football team in Fayetteville right now. And uh, he talks about playing the in-state opponent for the first time since 1944. And uh, I love these comments here about uh, you got something to lose, which is true. But, hey, we're in the SEC, brother. I mean, you cannot be scared. If you're scared of uh, playing Arkansas Pine Bluff, you ain't got no chance when you get in the SEC, of course. So uh, let's kick it over to Sam Pittman. There's a historical aspect to this game because there was a, you know, policy here not to play in state. So here you are, the first time to play an in-state team in so long. Just your thoughts about, you know, the historical aspect of playing somebody from in-state. Well, it says right here, my friend, that we haven't played an in-state uh, 1944 last time we did and even as old as I am I wasn't born at that point so I think I think it's a it's a big deal you know obviously we're playing uh, Arkansas State in in uh, I believe in five years in 2025 I believe um, so you know I know for years it you know it's not good they say it's not good for the University of Arkansas but you know, at that point in time, if we haven't turned our program around enough to do well in those in these type games, and you'll probably be a new guy talking about it, you know, but it's exciting. I think it's exciting for the state. I really am. I mean it. I'm excited to get over Little Rock, you know, and and I'm I'm sure there'll be a lot of fans over there. But I don't. I haven't made much about the history out of it, honestly. But 1944, a long time ago. And one final thing here, I thought this was of a particular interest here. He was asked about Jalen Catalan. Obviously, he's got a bright future in the NFL, I would assume. And will Catalan come back, or have we seen the last of him in an Arkansas Razorback uniform? You know, this is not a definitive statement by any means, but uh, Sam Pittman shared his thoughts on it. And, you know, I think this is good news here for the Razorbacks. 
not sure if Jalen had morning surgery or what, but have you gotten a report yeah. back? How he's doing? Yeah, good. Uh, I'm glad you asked. I was going to talk about it later anyway, but he had surgery this morning. He had, you know, some slight tears in, in his labrum in the front and the back. And, uh, and uh, surgery went, went well. He's already been in the facility and went to Walmart to get his meds. So he's doing well. Has he indicated whether he wants to uh, come back or, or, you know, is he talking about term pro? Well, I think you'd have to talk to him, but in, in all my, um, my thought process is that he'll come back. But I mean, I think you'd have to talk to him about it um, uh, a little bit. He'll, he'll know the answer better than me. All right. Final little update before we get to our interview with uh, Jesse Simonson. Just wanted to do this real quickly. I'm going to wait for cousin Shane to get into a more in-depth breakdown here about the uh, Tennessee-Alabama game. But Josh Heupel did meet with the media here on Monday. Gave us an update on Hendon Hooker's status and Tyon Evans. And, of course, had to talk about them officials. <laughs> Coach, I know you don't do injury updates, but can you give any kind of status on, on Hendon Hooker at this point? Yeah, I, you know, Hendon and, uh, and Tyon and, and Kate are, are probably, you know, day-to-day at this point. Uh, we'll see as the week unfolds uh, where we end up with uh, with Hendon. So, are you optimistic that it's not long term serious? Because there's a lot of speculation out there that his not, injury is a long term injury. I don't think it's a long term injury. Uh, you know, his status for this week, uh, we'll find out as we go, though. Josh, when there are things that maybe you don't agree with from an officiating standpoint or controversial plays, how do you handle that? Do you submit them to the SEC for at least, you know, just to let your, your voice be heard, or how do you handle those things? Does that ever happen? <laughs> I know things don't get overturned, but I guess some people procedurally no, you, still do. You, uh, you turn those things in on, on Sunday. Okay. <laughs> you want to follow up? <laughs> Go ahead. No, it just from uh, what was your view of the, of the play where uh, Matt Corral just kind of stopped and you had the scoop and score when you guys went back in? Yeah, it looks like a... a Delay, pop pass yeah. type play to the over the middle. Um, you know, I think you guys all understand what my stance is on, on right. what actually transpired during the play. Um, you know, two guys are two officials are chasing the ball into the end zone and then confer on the back end of it. One of those situations where it's not reviewable based on what they told me. All right, so hey, if nothing else, it's some promising news there from Josh Heupel. Looks like Hendon Hooker and Tyon Evans. Maybe a lot closer to the return of the field than, than many feared and hoped when uh, Hendon Hooker had to be taken out of the Ole Miss game and, and did not return there in the closing moment. So, obviously, you got no chance to beat Alabama, I think, with Joe Milton under center. So, maybe Hendon Hooker comes back not as hurt as uh, originally feared. And, you know, that, that could be paramount to uh, Tennessee's success here in the second half, obviously. But all right, uh, that's enough about me just spieling on here. Let's kick it over to our interview with Jesse Simonton. Hey, we're pleased to be joined once again by Jesse Simonton. Of course, uh, you know him. He's covered Tennessee. He's covered Florida. He's covered Georgia. And you got to give him a follow at Jesse R.E. Simonton on the Twitter. And he goes by college football purveyor. Still writing for Saturday Down South as well. Jesse, I, I really appreciate you. Yeah, man, I appreciate you having me on, Mike. 
No, no, there's plenty to talk about. It's been a, it's been a uh, fun season so far, especially in the SEC. Yeah, and I've noticed um, you, you've taken a liking to listening to a lot of podcasts and calling people out for the comments they make. So uh, hopefully I don't say anything too stupid to get called out uh, on social media. Yeah, you know, I, I, it's even a good fun. I mean, I've called out folks that I that I very much respect, even, you know, it mostly tongue in cheek, but laugh at you know my man David Ubbin at the Athletic has mm-hmm. has uh has said some funny stuff from from you know it's from those kind of guys to the who knows what you know a, a guy like Danny Cannell is gonna shoot off, <laughs> um, but it's all it's all it's all in good fun. Not, not trying to be mean spirited with it. Gotcha. Well, hey, I know you've never, to my knowledge, covered uh, LSU extensively, but. I wanted to start there just because that's kind of the biggest news here in the SEC with Coach O getting the boot, as I think we all kind of expected by, uh, you know, how the, the season has gone for the Tigers. But what are your thoughts on that, on, on LSU moving on from Coach O? And, and just how attractive is this job going to be for even coaches that may already have a great job in college football? Oh, I mean, yeah, I've I've never covered LSU, you know, in terms of covering them individually as a program. I have covered many games at Tiger Stadium dating back to my time uh, as a UF beat writer since that's their cross-annual team from the Western Division. Obviously, there's been a bunch of crazy games, Florida-LSU games in the last decade plus, Um, and and that fan base is second to none. I I think everyone kind of saw the writing on the wall with Coach O based literally, you know, Brody Miller at the Athletic has done a lot of good reporting. Ross Dellinger, who was one of the guys who used to cover LSU for a long time before he became SI's national college football writer, um, released a big story yesterday too that, you know, this had been something that had been brewing uh for a while, you know, behind the scenes. And so I think once LSU had that terrible start of the year to to go out and, and basically get dump trucked. Uh, by UCLA, I think the writing was on the wall then because of everything that had happened previously behind the scenes, whether it was Coach O screwing up the hirings, whether it was all the off-the-field drama in the locker room because of how they handled not only the Black Lives Matter movement, but some of the other stuff um, just within the dynamics of the locker room, his own personal you know, uh, dealings in terms of his divorce and then some of the interactions with some of his girlfriends and the practices. I mean, the stories out there are wild. So um, it was a, a win, not if. And and now, you know, I think the maddest people in the country are, are the admin, the the, uh, the administration and, and folks who are actually running USC's coaching search because suddenly they don't have the number one job on the market. I mean, that's how good LSU is. I think pretty much outside of Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, and Ryan Day, uh, maybe I'm missing someone. I I would throw Lincoln Riley on that list as well. Maybe outside of those four guys, I think every other coach in the country would be silly not to consider going to LSU. That's how you know attractive that job is. The last three coaches have won national championships there. Literally half or more than half the teams, high school teams in the state, wear purple and gold and are called the Tigers. I mean, the infrastructure is there. Uh, for you to win. And when you see the fact that Les Miles, who, you know, clearly the way his career unraveled, but also he was never considered, you know, some uh, bastion of the coaching community, yet he was able to win a national championship um, while he was there. And then Ed O also did it. And, you know, he did it during the the height of Nick Saban's dominance 
um, at Alabama, to, to, I think that proves the capability of that program. So they're going to have their pick of the litter. Now it's going to be fascinating to see how it unfolds. I'm not someone that believes that, you know, uh, Woodard already has kind of a guy tabbed. Um, I just think he wanted to kind of get out in front of this thing so that they didn't have the same thing that happened to them a couple of years ago when Miles was able to kind of save his job and, and some of the big name boosters and, and politicians in the state were able to rally behind him and, and kind of give him an extra year. Now, one guy that, um, you know, I'm not trying to completely throw him on the hot seat here. I'm not saying the Florida's job is going to become open anytime soon, but what do you make of uh, Dan Mullen and, and the job he's currently doing in Gainesville? Because it just seems like the Gators right now, are, th- that program is kind of stuck in neutral while Georgia looks to be you know as, as good as they've ever been under Kirby Smart. Yeah, I, I, I think it's an interesting kind of comparison too when, when you kind of talk about the move that LSU made versus kind of where Florida is at a pro, you know, is right now um, as a program. And, they, and they're certainly, I think the Gators are certainly at a crossroads. That's a fan base that, you know, both growing up in Gainesville, um, you know, in middle school, high school, and then uh, covering the Gators, you know, for the Miami Herald for a number of years, that that's a program that they expect to win championships. Like that is their expectation. And so winning 10, 11 games and, and some of these, you know, New York six bowl games are nice, um, but they have kind of a calling to a higher power. Now, is that fair? You know, I don't know. I mean, you can't win a championship every year. What Saban's done um, is just unrealistic. But the fact that Dan um, is kind of a prickly personality, he does weird stuff like, you know, I, I poked at him on Saturday because, you know, the, the Darth Vader thing a year ago was so stupid and so just – childishly um, missing the moment. And then for, you know, him to basically have these other press conferences where he's kind of like hemming and hawing or crying wolf or, you know, making, using a lot of euphemisms that were ultimately excuses. You know, I, I joked that he should have showed up in a clown suit um, and that it would have been more appropriate. And I, and I, and I certainly think that that's, that's accurate because some of his statements are just befuddling. I mean, the fact that he wouldn't give, Anthony Richardson really any due or credit, um, that's a problem. And, and that's kind of, I think, the, 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 the current issue at hand is I don't think Florida's administration is going to make any sort of rash decision, even though Mullen has this terrible record versus Power 5 opponents in the last eight games, what I think is just two wins, six losses. Um, so when you compare it to the fact that like LSU literally just pulled the plug on a guy who won a championship national championship less than two years ago, and and where Florida's at, you're like, man, maybe Florida should upgrade. But the, the grass isn't always greener. I, I think what ultimately you're going to see is everyone continues to call for Todd Grantham's head at defensive coordinator. You're probably, I would say, very likely to see a change there um, by the end of the season. But the more pertinent thing, because that's, I think, the expectation, is is what what is Dan going to do at quarterback? Um, because he both, I think, risks not only losing the fan base, but maybe even losing his own locker room if he doesn't make the right decision there. And, you know, Anthony Richardson's comments after the game were a little strange. I know he's kind of since um, retracted or, you know, kind of posted on Twitter, you know, still a Gator, what have you. But here, here's the deal, Mike. One of those two guys is going to be out at the end of the season, Anthony Richardson or Emory Jones. The likelier choice, you would think, for Mullen would be to go with the higher upside guy and a guy with more youth. 
which is Richardson, but he has yet to kind of commit there. Maybe he's, you know, thinking that he can, you know, continue to try to give Georgia two quarterbacks to prepare for or what have you. I don't think the offense really looked all that different. Um, now, it, it, I think it executed better with Richardson. I think there's a higher ceiling with Richardson, but I'm not sure the plays themselves were all that different um, versus Jones and Richardson uh, Saturday versus LSU. So it's a it's a complicated thing happening right now in Gainesville because, you know, the McElwain deal ended ugly. You know, that was something that it, 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 it was, you know, all – I don't want to say gravy, but, you know, Florida fans were just kind of – Okay, okay. We you get to the I cover those two teams that that went to the SEC uh, championship game and completely just got um, you know bulldozed by Alabama, and then you know the next year things start to kind of come undone, and he just gets you know they get completely pantsed um, by a really good Georgia team that ultimately made the national championship game that year, and he was out uh, the very next week. Now there was again some other stuff happening with you know the, the the faux death threats and some of that stuff but i don't think mullen's going to see a similar fate even if florida gets completely housed in two weeks down in jacksonville but he he's gonna have to answer some stuff to an administration you know based on you know recruiting and and both recruiting his own roster and and trying to match the recruiting efforts of alabama georgia and, and others in the sec and then also uh, this staff makeup because the staff right now is just not hacking it now you just talked about Georgia. I really wanted to ask you about that as well because uh, I've seen you kind of comment on the love that Stetson Bennett has been getting by uh, a lot of people in the media. And I'm not sitting here trying to say Stetson Bennett is not playing well. I think he's playing very efficiently. I think this is the best football I've ever seen him play. But at the same time, I mean, he's surrounded by so much talent. And I think just based on watching the games, Todd Munkin really seems to be in the zone and, and he's dialing up some beautiful plays. And let's give Bennett, uh, you know, credit for executing. But I'm just, I'm, I'm aghast at people that think that JT Dales would not be the guy if they're wanting to win a national championship, which obviously is the goal down there. What are your thoughts on this uh, Stetson Bennett, JT Daniels talk? Yeah, I, I, I guess I come at it from a little bit of a different angle. I'm less, I, I'm less skeptical at Bennett's uh, ability or play. I think it's clear, especially if you watched all of last season versus this season, the kid has definitely improved. He's more comfortable. Munkin, as you said, has schemed up some good stuff and is definitely more comfortable with Bennett's skill set. Um, Georgia absolutely is loaded, but they're also beat to hell. I mean, they're missing – you know, most all of their top receiving options, at least the preseason guys, and obviously we'll see what happens with Pickens, but then when you're talking about Blaylock and Smith and Curious Jackson's barely been in there, Jermaine Burton's barely been in there, you know, they're missing all these guys and what they've gotten out of um, some freshmen and Bowers who looks, you know, supremely impressive as the freshman tight end, A.D. Mitchell, I mean, it's hilarious in hindsight, you know, this is a kid that wanted to go to Tennessee, he was a Tennessee guy, um and t Tennessee staff didn't think he was good enough boom he goes and camps at Georgia he falls in love with Georgia Alabama wants him Georgia wants him LSU wants him Tennessee comes back and says hey well we'll take you you know you're a Tennessee kid and he's like nah you know that, and that's that's the, the life of the balls right there um to get to get some some folks some background on that situation but anyway I, I just I am less skeptical on Stetson 
as a player, I mean, he, this is a guy who's averaging 12 yards of attempt. I mean, the stats are there, almost completing 70% of his passes. But I agree with you that the ceiling is higher, particularly on third downs with JT Daniels, just because he processes things quicker. Um, I do think uh, Stetson has cleaned up some of his accuracy uh, concerns from a year ago. But the real thing that makes me laugh, and I think it's just, you know, there's a there's plenty that you can kind of nitpick and, and kind of criticize Kirby for over the years. Um, but the hindsight 2020 on the Justin Fields, Jake Fromm situation to now where almost universally in the national media, folks are saying it would be a crime if Bennett was benched in favor of JT Daniels is it, it's like, I, I'm not sort of whatever retroactive amnesia we have, but it is literally the inverse of what Kirby had been roasted, has been roasted for, for, you know, a many number of years, choosing quote unquote, the locker room, lower ceiling guy, instead of going with the guy who may give you the best chance for a championship. Now, Jake Fromm nearly won a championship. And I do think this team is good enough to win a championship with Stetson, but I just find it amusing that, that you know, the goalposts so quickly can shift, especially in, in college football where the season, mind you, isn't that long. It's only, you know, 12 weeks. That's, that's, that's really a small sample size. So it's easy for folks to kind of, you know, uh, sway some of these narratives. And that is kind of, to me, um, one of the more baffling, you know, just kind of, uh, narratives that's out there that, you know, it would be a crime if somehow Stetson is pulled. No, I, I, right now, Georgia, I, I saw a headline today that I, I agree with, you know, Georgia doesn't have a QB problem or controversy. This is a good dilemma to have. They got two good options. The likelihood is when Daniels is fully healthy, whether that's Florida or after that, he will be the guy. And then if he doesn't go, if he can't hack it, or if he's hurt, you know you what you have in Stetson because he has been, you know, a solid performer all year. All right, last thing for you, Jesse, wanted to get your thoughts on just the start of the Josh Heupel era. I think he has certainly lived up to the hype as a play caller. But uh, for, for me personally, the biggest revelation has has been the defense, which I know that, you know, it's not a credit to him. It's more uh, the defensive staff there. But what is your early thoughts on what we've seen of Josh Heupel at Tennessee? Yeah, I mean, you know, Again, I, I referenced like David Oven, you know, has is a guy who came from out west and covered Baylor and some of those teams. And so he's he's very familiar uh with the air raid and other folks who've covered that before. It it surprises no one that Tennessee has been able to score points, especially against bad defenses, the South Carolinas, the Missouris, even you know, Pitt and Kenny Pickett have been very impressive offensively, but they're nothing Narduzzi's got that hasn't can't generate any sort of pressure with the Panthers this year. So that even them putting up a bunch of points on Pitt um, was not particularly surprising because the way that offensive scheme works is it exploits teams that a haven't seen it or don't know how to defend it. And B, if you don't have speed, you will get killed. And so Hendon Hooker has has been a revelation. You know, I I think it obviously is going to really hurt Tennessee's chances if they don't have him available versus Alabama or Kentucky. We'll see, you know, what kind of, uh, injury he sustained and whether he'll be able to come back sooner rather than later. But I agree, the defense has been kind of the real revelation, and, and I think that's kind of been the difference between Tennessee potentially, you know, going under their win total and, and not making a bowl game, NCAA potential, you know, sanctions uh, notwithstanding, or, you know, getting to six plus wins. And, and the fact that this is 
you know, a unit. You know, I, I, I have a story coming out, and I, I tweeted about it. I mean, he was stripped to the studs. You're missing Toa Toa and Crouch and, and your two top pass uh, rushers from a year ago. And, and Bryce Thompson goes to the NFL, and some other notable, you know, just depth pieces are gone. And yet this kind of no-name unit is better in literally every single category. They're better versus the run. They're better versus the pass. Uh, they already have more tackles for loss than interceptions in seven games compared to 10 a year ago, just one fewer sack. Um, they're better on third downs. They're better at limiting explosive plays. Um, and this is with a group that, you know, outside of Jeremy Banks and I guess Tyler Barron doesn't really have a star, but they've just kind of collectively um, – you know, played well. They play faster. They play simpler. You've seen guys who've been really up and down throughout their careers, like Alante Taylor and Theo Jackson, uh, playing with more consistency. Banks and, 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 you know, the staff has gotten, you know, much more production out of a guy like Jaquan Blakely. They found a way to utilize, you know, Roman Harrison. Um, Bryson Young, the, the, the Juco guy they brought in, has, start, has started to come along. So, I don't think it's going to, to show up on the stat sheet this weekend versus Alabama, and I and I think part of the league that's going to be a byproduct of playing 100-some-odd plays in, in that five-hour uh, slugfest against Ole Miss. But I, I think the rest of the season, outside of going up against, honestly, the top couple teams in the country, Alabama and Georgia, Tennessee's defense is going to help keep them in every other game on their schedule the rest of the way. And, and I think few, if any, predicted that to be, you know, to start the season eight weeks ago. And I include myself in this. I thought the Vols um, really were going to have to play red zone roulette, just drop eight and let teams march it down the field and then just try to see if you could keep them out of the end zone, kick instead of, you know, getting getting seven. And, and instead, they've forced turnovers. They've made enough plays. And, and they've been kind of the real surprise and renaissance, um, I think, for the Vols in 2021. Sounds like the Vols are going to be the one faking injuries next week. But, uh, hey, I do, <laughs> <laughs> I do. I really appreciate you, Jesse. I don't want to take up any more of your time. But, uh, again, you got to give him a follow at Jesse R.E. Simonton on the Twitter. Thank you, Jesse. I really, really appreciate it. Appreciate it, Mike. You have a good day. Just want to say thanks again to Jesse for joining the show. I hope you guys really appreciated that interview. I thought it was great. And like I said, I mean, he tells it the way it is and the way he sees it. He doesn't hold anything back. So, uh, you know, some nuggets, some good nuggets there, some honest and refreshing takes. And, uh, you know, we got to we we're able to hit on a number of SEC teams right there. So, again, really, really appreciate Jesse for joining the show. But all right, that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Cousin Shane will be on the will be back on the next episode and we'll be previewing some of these games and. And who knows what will happen between now and then. But uh, there's always a chance something wild happens in the SEC. And if it does, we got you covered. So appreciate each and every one of you for hopping on. Catch you on the next one.